Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Welcome to the Back Check Episode 2, everybody. I'm Brendan Azoff. With me, as always, is Stefan Rosner. And we are, what, four days out of NHL hockey? Oh my God, Stefan, we are coming up hot on it. Next week starts the NHL season. This week, it's this week, Brendan. Sunday. Uh, yeah, I guess Sunday's this week, but until yeah. I start working tomorrow, it's still next yeah. week. I completely agree. Well, Brendan, first off, congratulations on drafting a phenomenal uh, NHL team yesterday. Well, listen, your team was pretty solid, too. Uh, I think we're going to be going far in this league. I, I sure hope so after the payout that we had to do. But anyway, let, let's get right into it. We got a lot of news. We'll start off with the COVID. Just get that out of the way. COVID has taken the league by storm after zero people test positive in the bubble. And, you know, we, we had to see this coming. There's no bubble. Players are home. They're, walking, they're normal people now. Uh, yes, they're not going to grant to go out to restaurants and go hang out with family members all the time. But they're at a higher risk of getting this virus. And it's going to be a thing that the league has to deal with. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in every other sports league so far, right? The NBA has got player, players missing time because of COVID-19. The NFL had it. They had to work their schedule around it. So the NHL is not going to be immune to it as long as they can contain these spreads. And it seems like nobody else has gotten it so far outside of the initial six or eight people that had it on Dallas. So contain that, delay their start to the season. Everybody else seems to be testing negative so far around the league, which is a good sign. Knock on wood that that stays the same way. And, I mean, only one team when all these training camps are going on. We saw around the NFL and the NBA there was a couple more. So they're doing a good job, right? I mean, they, they already have the travel restrictions on divisions. The NBA doesn't have that. The NBA is playing cross country. So I, I hope that the NHL can keep it contained at a higher clip than the other leagues have so far. Now, Dallas is the only team that's officially announced COVID people. We know that players are missing practice. Reporters know that people aren't hurt. So the question is, were they exposed? Do they have? And I know Colorado had a couple of guys miss. I know Columbus had guys miss. Boston helped didn't have a practice for cautious reasons. So I think teams are being overly cautious right now. But for Dallas, they, their first three games will be postponed. The league plans to make that up, but I don't think they could start until the 19th. That's the date that the NHL said was good for them to go. Yeah, I mean, only a five-day delay. If you're a Dallas Star fan, it stinks because you waited this long for hockey, and now it's like, oh, another five-day delay. But only five days. Uh, luckily, they got a positive diagnosis now as opposed to like the 12th, right before the season starts, because then chaos starts to unfold. The teams that they're playing now aren't going to be playing. and a lot, of, a lot of extracurricular stuff would go on if it was that close to the season. So they got it out the way now, you hope. And I mean, listen, we, we have Mika Zibanejad is a primary example in New York. He came over from Europe. He's still in quarantine. We know it's not an injury because if it was an injury, it would have been announced and it would have been bigger news around New York. So we're just waiting for him to clear those protocols. And it's a new age, right? We saw it in the bubble last season, but this is a actual regular season, like you said, with COVID-19 still being prevalent. And we hope that by the end of it, the vaccinations will become more mainstream. And this will be something that we're talking about as an issue that started the season. And now look how good we're going as opposed to an issue that's still controlling the season's outcome. Definitely. So let's move on to Corey Crawford. You know, after a 13-year career with Chicago, he signed a two-year, $3.9 million AAV deal with the Devils. This was a perfect setup to get Blackwood to become a true number one in this league, learn from one of the best, two-times Stanley Cup winner, two-times Jennings winner, and he announces his retirement from the NHL. Yeah, you, you feel for him, right? He's obviously had a history of concussion issues. And whenever you start dealing with head trauma and, and the brain starts hurting, that, that's when it gets scary because it doesn't just go away after you say, I retired. That's something that stays with you. So 
we wish him all the best. I know that I saw some Devils fans who were very courteous to him, and I saw others that were angry that he signed the contract and didn't play. But there's some things that are just out of players' control. It's obvious that Corey Crawford did not want to retire. He wanted to keep playing. But there's some times where you just – I mean, I remember Michael Sauer getting hit by Dion Phaneuf, getting a concussion at – he was like 22 – Right. And all of a sudden never plays a game again. Just it's just constant concussion protocols. You feel the symptoms. So instead of being salty that he didn't play, I think we have to realize that it's bigger than hockey right now and just wish him the best. Yeah, I know uh, Molly Walker of The New York Post had an article prior to him retiring. It was that he, he had been a camp and he interviewed, she interviewed some of the players and they were all saying, listen, we're going to give Crawford time and space. And it turns out that, you know, Crawford wasn't 100 percent committed. He didn't, he didn't feel like, you know what, I could do this still. And if that's you're at that point as an NHL player, you owe it to your team and everything else to not play. Because if you're not 100% committed, there are guys that are 100% committed, 110% committed that are trying to make it. So his teammates have his back support, even though he was only there for a couple of weeks. Wish him nothing but the best. He, he had a great career. I mean, two-time Stanley Cup champion. He played phenomenal in those playoffs, in those two runs. First, 2012-2013. 9.32 save, 1.84 goals against. And in 2014-15, 9.24 save, 2.31 goals against average. So, I mean, when it mattered most, he stepped up. I think at times, maybe people would have classified him as an overrated goalie given how good those teams were. But all in all, he was a very good goaltender for, for his team. And when it mattered most, he was there. He was exactly what the Blackhawks needed to win the cup. He will never go down in history as being a phenomenal goaltender. But he was sturdy. And whenever the Blackhawks, who were dominant during his tenure, would give up a chance, he bailed them out. And that's all you could ask for. It's similar to what Holpe did for the Capitals, right? Holpe was never a phenomenal goaltender. He had good seasons. But when the Capitals needed him most in that playoff run, he stepped up. So that that's a similar uh, comparison there as to what uh, Crawford did for the Blackhawks. And it was really, really fun watching him play because he was never appreciated on that team, right? You have all these all-stars in front of him, and it was always Corey Crawford in goal. It was Corey Crawford. He's not Carey Price. He's not this guy, but you have he, he did the guy. He did the job, right? Yeah, he and definitely mimicked them. He did. And it, to go on back to what you said about you don't want a player that's not committed to be playing. I I think it was last year or two seasons ago. I forget the player in Buffalo that didn't want to be there, and he was kind of just like going for a ride. You know, he said, "I didn't want to be in Buffalo. I never wanted to sign that contract," and he was a detriment to the team. Wait, it's, Cor- it's coming to me. Hold on. It was it was a guy from the Blues. Yeah. Um, was it Vladimir Saboka? Nope. Nope. Berglund. Patrick Berglund. Okay. Damn, I was close. I don't know how I thought of Vladimir Saboka <laughs> off the top of my head, but yeah, but all right. So, but yeah, no, I, that was an issue to me where I'm I'm looking at it as a teammate. How do you how do you go on the ice with this guy knowing if he doesn't catch the pass, he doesn't care. If he doesn't score, he doesn't care. If we win, it doesn't bother him. He doesn't want to be here. So for Crawford to come out and say. I couldn't commit because of what I've been dealing with and the whole situation off the ice as opposed to on it. It's something where you go, okay, I'd rather have Scott Wedgwood who doesn't have that experience come in. You know, he's going to commit because he, this is his chance now to be a backup in this league. If he proves that he can start 15, 10 to 15 games and have solid numbers, he's going to get a chance again to be a backup. So you'd rather have that. But let's be real. This hurts Blackwood more than anybody else. Yes. I mean, the Devils are – this is a tough division where the Devils got better. They're not a bad team as they were last year. They added some good pieces. But they are no match for the other teams in this division. Maybe Buffalo, which I think is going to be at the bottom as well. But you look at Blackwood last year. He had a 9-15 save, 2.77 goals against average. And, you know, he's the number one there. But we have yet to see him become a true number one goaltender in this league. And he's young. He's a young kid. He's 24 right now. And while Scott Wedgwood's going to help, that's not the guy that you want to see Blackwood be learning from. Because, again, Wedgwood hasn't proven himself either, but he's also a career AHL to a backup at best. That's what his ceiling is at right now. And for the Devils who want to see Blackwood take that next step, it's going to come from other guys on the team like Subban stepping up leadership-wise. You know, they got goalie coaches there. They got, you know, Wedgwood's not a bad guy. I'm not knocking him at all. But at the same time, he's not Corey Crawford who's won. I think the biggest thing with bringing Crawford in was that he won. And the fact that Crawford did wait until camp didn't allow for the devil squad and get a guy like Anderson who signs with the capitals or Howard, even though those aren't guys that are going to take a lead by storm anymore. Veteran guys that you want just presence wise for, for Blackwood. And that's the sad thing. So hopefully Blackwood on his own with Wedgwood can figure it out, but definitely they are at a disadvantage right now in his development. So, 
it looks like they're leaning towards Wedgwood as a backup. And then, remember, we have to carry thir- uh, three goalies now, right? Yeah. So the NHL is a three goalie minimum. So Gilson, who me and you met, is going to be that yeah. third goalie, and they're going to see who could play the best and what uh, a good guy Gilson was. Uh, he was awesome. I know his English was a little broken. We were interviewing him when we worked for the Bing Devils, but what, he was funny. He was great. He gave us great insight. And it's one of those guys where, okay, you met him, and now you want to root for him. Yep. So I, I want to see him get some games this year. I mean, he looked good. And uh, young guy too. So hopefully, hopefully hey, he made his done. NHL debut next season, uh, last season. So listen, that he might take it and run with it, right? A two young goalie tandem. We see that in New York, and it could work if they're both pushing each other. But there's one name that I see being floated around. Well, there's two names. One I see being floated around. The other one I'm going to float around. Michael Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. I know he's not the greatest, but he's a guy with NHL experience. So when you have to carry three goalies. Maybe getting him in that as a backup. I think he was just placed on waivers, so not the worst scenario. He did play in the playoffs last year too, when Colorado needed yeah. goaltending. So he's got experience, and he's not a guy that you want Mackenzie Blackwood to become. Obviously, you want Blackwood to be a true number one, but he has played in this league for a while, so he can help and mentor Blackwood. And the other one is Jimmy Howard. Yeah, you want to change his pad color? Want to change his pad color? Terrible season last year. It can only go up. It can only go up, and he's still a veteran. He's been around a long, long time. And he's so won. He has won. So so why not? Nah, I mean, didn't Hutchison go off in his playoff game? He had a great playoff game. Yeah, he did. Or he two or three. I don't remember exactly. I know that they won a game with him in. Yeah, and I think he played. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it was a shutout. But I, I'm pretty sure he had a phenomenal game. Let me see. But for my aspect, looking at the devil situation, sure, you want to give these young goalies a chance. But if yeah. you're going into the season, especially 56 games, your best bet is somebody that has that NHL experience. I would go right now. They have $8 million in caps still after signing Vatanen, which we'll get to next. But why not go after one of these two veteran goaltenders? Yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. Those are the teams. They need it. And like you said, Howard can't have a worse year. He was terrible. When they say, oh, he couldn't even stop a beach ball, no, that's, 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 how, that's how it was last year. And Hutchinson, I mean, yeah, you're not, bringing, you're not trying to find a superstar to take over Black. But this is, this, I mean, he's your number one, and he's going to be in the future if he gets to that next level. Now, granted, this is a great year for, to figure it out. This would be the great time. He's going to go against great competition. And even if the Devils do bad, you are facing the best teams in the league. This is the year to grow. Yep. Now, I've, I've been on terrible teams, and I look back and I go, okay, I'm the goal I am today because I faced 90-something shots per game. And, yeah, we got killed and mercy more often than not because the team was terrible. But I, I faced so many shots, and pre- it was pretty much free practice. Now, I don't think the devil's going to be that bad where it's going to be blowouts every game. But they're facing top competition, so this is the year for him to really grow. Yeah, it, it is. And you look at who he's playing. It's all divisional opponents, so it doesn't just carry over for him growing this year. He's going to have shooters' tendencies down in the following years after that. So it's a big season for all goaltenders in every division, but primarily the young goaltenders and what is going to be the stacked metropolitan division for the foreseeable future, the way these all these teams are all shaping out. It's just a changing of guard. It's not a weakening division because even when the, the Rangers and Islanders and Devils and these younger teams start to jump up the standings, you're going to have Carolina who's going to be there. The Capitals might be getting worse, but they're still not going to be bad, right? Pittsburgh is never going to be bad. So uh, <laughs> this division is never going to get weak. Yeah, no. It's just it's the how it laid out. I mean, every year I look at the standings and go, oh, if the Rangers were in the West, they'd be in the playoffs right now. If the Rangers were in this division, they'd be in the wild card. But they're not. And every team is going to feel that. So for Blackwood to be able to face these tendencies, to face a Panarin shot eight times. Marshkin. Exactly. Uh, I mean. Ovechkin. (laughs) All you can do is say, okay, I see Ovechkin's shot. Everyone knows how hard it is to stop. But I could see that when he's on the power play, he slides a little bit to the left. He has a tendency to go to Mike Lovemore. That carries over to next season because now he knows i got to get my glove hand ready. It's just little nuances like that that the average fan won't pick up on and that we don't think about because we just go, okay, the Devils are playing the Capitals. But in this season, it's more it's not about the Devils making the postseason. It's about them taking that step and getting better and competing against what really is the elite competition in the East. And then now on the flip side, players have an advantage as well because they see what goalies, the, the little things goalies do wrong. 
and then you try to exploit. But again, it balances out. Uh, moving on to probably the biggest news of Saturday. Matt Barzal is finally back in blue, orange, and white, signing a three-year deal worth $21 million. And bless the hockey gods that this happened prior to game one of the season. Well, I guess there goes my Seattle Kraken theory. Listen, I think that it was a matter of time. I mean, after I gave I you my mean, role. I see what I did there. Matter of time? Yeah, matter. Even though he spelled his name wrong. But uh, after my little you know troll rant, I told you I, I think he's going to get signed. I... It's a good deal for both sides because he's still an RFA when it expires, which is what I talked about with you a while back, that that's what the Islanders want to do, control him. But it's still a good deal for Barzal because he's only going to be 25. So he's going to get that monster seven-year extension that he's going to be looking for at that time. And if he continues to increase his production, oh, it's going to be steep, especially if there's no more flat cap, which yeah, if there isn't for years, the NHL's in trouble. Yeah, his qualifying offer after this expires will be $8.4 million. But the crazy thing about all of this is he comes back on first first line rush with his uh, Everly and Lee, scores a goal. I mean, it, Andrew Gross of Newsday tweeted out, oh, he's back, scoring a goal, everyone's happy. The biggest thing I got from this was Barzal in interview said, if a long-term deal was possible, I would have signed it. And I think it was um, six years, nine and a half. That, that's what was being floated around. Now, Lou Lamarillo could not move players like Komov or Hickey, pieces like that to relieve cap pressure. But the good news is Barzal wants to be an Islander and says he wants to be here long-term. Now, granted, three years, obviously, if he gets really, really good and keeps him producing, you're going to have to pay him a hefty you know, amount of money. So a long-term deal would have helped because it doesn't matter how good he gets, you're paying that rate. But all in all, he's back. That's the most important thing. He's ready to go. He's been practicing with Dennis Seidenberg. Johnny Boychuk, Dennis Soderberg retired last year. Boychuk just retired, and he was skating with Kunaka, who has yet to be signed. So he's definitely in tip-top shape, and he's ready to go. His breakdown, year one's $4 million, year two's $7 million, and year three's $10 million. Obviously, that's how it gets better. That's how the contracts work. So this is great. Now, Barzal, last year, in 68 games, he had 19 goals, 41 assists, 60 points. He was a positive five. This is going to be a big year for him because, again, even though the Islanders made a two-game shot of the Stanley Cup final, they're going against top competition. They're going to have to all be on their games. That top line at times in the playoffs was quiet. During the regular season was quiet. That second line really took of Bavillier, Nelson, and Bailey. So this top line for the Islanders got to play like a true top line this season, and Barzal's got to be Barzal. Yeah, I mean, we're going to dive into this contract in a little bit yeah. more detail. But you said that it was floated six years, $9.5 million, right? I just want to get your take on would you be okay with that price range? Yes, because if this guy – he's not a, to me, he's not a superstar yet. He's borderline superstar. Yeah. I think in a couple of years he will be, and if that's the case and he, you know, lead league in points at some point, you know, if he gets to that to that level, he could be asking for a yeah. lot of money, like let's say 11, like stuff like crazy numbers like that where if he becomes that good. Now, let's say the Islanders over three years get a, an elite sniper. Not saying like a Panarin, but a guy like that where you see strong numbers being – like crazy numbers like that where he's really – He's really a top player in this game. You're, I feel 9.5 is going to be a good amount that you would want to pay him. And anything more than that, 10, 11, he may ask for and say, listen, I'm a free agent. I want this. If you can't do it, someone else is willing to pay it. So if they got him down to 9.5, I don't think he's going to be worth less than that. I think that's going to be a reasonable number. So, But, of course, it didn't happen. And, you know, we're in the age of salary cap issues with COVID. Hopefully in a couple of years that, you know, the pandemic is over. We could all go around freely with no mask. Everything's great. The salary cap continues to rise. But for now, I would have been fine with 9.5. I'd be more happy with the, the years. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about a Tavares thing happening again where, yeah, we build around him for three, four, five, six years, and then he decides I'm leaving. So all the work we did, or excuse me, all the work the team did to build around him is lost. Because again, with Tavares, had Molson, okay, trade for Vanek, trying to find that one piece to play alongside him, and then he leaves. Granted, I'm not saying he shouldn't have left Toronto, hometown team. Good for him. I'd play for my hometown team too if I could. But all the years trying to build someone around him was lost. So for Barzal, if they could have signed him long-term, I think it would have been best. But again, three years is what both teams, both sides agreed on, and we have Barzal to start the season. The only reason I ask right, yeah. is because I like comparing right, and, and seeing yeah. what a player is worth. These are the players that make $9.5 million in the league right now. Mark yep. Stone, Nikita Kucherov, Andre Vasilevsky, Jamie Benton, and Evgeny Malkin. That's that's high company. 
Yeah. And then you're talking about if he keeps growing to that 11 million range, mm-hmm. you have Dowdy, Tavares, Carlson, Matthews, Panera, and McDavid. That's elite, elite production. Oh, I'm not saying he's, I'm yeah. saying I'm off chance that he does. Well, he's only 22, right? Exactly. So he can improve. The only thing that I think is what you just mentioned with the players around him and the Islanders situation, they're not an offensive team. Exactly. So him putting up 60 points on the Islanders is a good season. But I don't know if he's ever going to get to that elite point where we talk about arbitration all the time. It's mm-hmm. all player comps. So he could say, look, I'm producing for my team. Nobody's really close to me when it comes to production. I'm carrying the production load. But if he goes, I want $11 million, and then you put him next to Panarin's contract, and you say, well, Panarin just put up 95 points playing with Jesper Foss, right? Like some stuff like that. I don't think he'll ever win that comparison. So as long as the Islanders are able to keep his contract below 10 it's a great contract for them because we know what he can't do and all he needs is one player along his side that could shoot for his numbers to start skyrocketing so if they're able to after three years his production hovers around 65 to 75 points right he increases slowly and steadily and they could sign him for that long-term deal at nine and a half that's a bargain yeah but if they go over 10 i don't know if it is again i'm thinking more of the term of uh, the years over the money because like I don't want to see Tavares thing happen again. Now, granted, I don't think he'll get 11 million, but in the off chance that he figures something out, I don't know. He learns how to shoot at a higher rate and score is now scoring and passing. And now he becomes a full player that could do everything on the ice. And he is on the power play and he, you know, all the, he gets the penalty minutes down. all that thing, all that stuff happens. You don't want him to go to Lou and say, look at me. I'm on the top of my game and the top of the league, pay me. And if the Islanders can't do that, you're struck. That's why if they sign a six-year deal, now it's like, okay, it doesn't matter how much, like you said, if it's 65 to 75 points, you're still paying him that nine and a half. But again, it's all about what he does. See, I, I thought that way too, especially when the Rangers were at that peak and they were gone. And then you realize, okay, now we have Dan Girardi was on a crazy contract. Mark Stahl's on these crazy contracts. And at the time it looks great. And you're like, okay, they're going to be here. We're not going to have problems with who's going to be a Ranger. And then all of a sudden, as soon as that production starts to dip and you're paying them upwards of $7 million, you go, oh, like this is, this is not good, and now we can't sign players. So Barzal, at his young age, shouldn't be a problem if they sign him for seven years at 25, right? That, that, his production shouldn't dip. But what it does do is it puts a chunk into somebody. Like the Rangers signed Panarin, and I love it, right? Great contract signing. Nobody's going to debate that. But in, in six years when he's 35 and he's making that money, is he's if he if he's still putting up ninety points at thirty five, I'll be amazed, right? He could still he's gonna he's gonna put up at least sixty, I would think, because he's just that type of player. He's talented. He doesn't play that physical aspect of the game. He's out outside. He could set players up, but that's where you start to feel these contracts more, not that early part. So for the Islanders, their window, which we were talking about off camera, is really now. This is, this is their window. They have a three year window right now where they're going to be able to re sign players and Barzal's on a manageable term where they can get it done. Yeah, I mean, if he had signed a six-year deal, he would be 30. That's what he would be. Now, granted, like you said Panarin, most of those big deals, especially with the guy that's been in the league already, it's not like he wasn't as young as Barzal, minus two years off that deal. And then that's probably, you know, the last two years of the deal are not throwaway, but look at Anders Lee, seven by seven. That contract will, might be worth it. I by, by four and a half, five. And then it's like, okay, we're going to start to see him digress. But the deal wasn't, we think he's going to be on top of this game at year seven. It's hopefully we get four to five great years out of him, and then we slowly start to see him digress. That, that's how you look at the, all these contracts. I mean, when I look at them, they gave a lot of no movement clauses out, yeah. which kind of hurts them. But I, like you said, they, they've had a team that's had success without the brand name players. So Obviously, they, they know what works for them. These guys all have chemistry together. But they, I look at their thing right now. It's Anders Lee has a no trade. Nelson, no trade. Eberle, no trade. Andrew Ladd, no trade or movement. Pajot, no trade. Leo Komarov has a no trade or no movement. That, that one hurts. But how do you give Leo Komarov four years, 12 million, plus a no trade? Yes, sir, he, Bob, he must have kidnapped Lula Amarillo's granddaughter. <laughs> you have Varmov and a no trade either. But he, I mean, he granted. With no, Sor- no, but that that's fine. I know with Sorokin and Sorokin steps up. Varm- that's fine with Varlamov back. You have, you have a tandem for three years. Yeah, exactly. So that that I'm fine with. But even though Varlamov's price range is a backup is steep, but he didn't get him as a backup. He did what he had to do. Is two years. 
a pretty much the number one last year. What he did in the playoffs, you have him bringing Sorokin over, and you have him being a, probably one of the better backups in the league. So I'm okay with that. That's fine. But yeah, go back to your point about Leo Komarov getting a uh, no movement, no trade clause. It's just that's a tough gotta, one. Gotta, that's gotta a tough yeah, and the question is, if he didn't have that, who wants him? But correct. That that's the thing. Now he, if you told him that he's going to go to a team where he'll play because he's been a scratch, correct? He he, he might played. waive it. He's in and out of the he's in and out of the lineup. The problem is though that team. That's a competitor. Is probably not a team that can take his contract. No, the, the Islanders are going to have to eat it because if they, if they plan on moving that one lad. They're going to have to eat some of it. To me, the teams that have like the big room, like you just said, the Devils have money. Ottawa, Detroit has money, but those aren't teams that Leo's going to leave his trade clause. He's on an Islander team that, like you just said, has a three year window. He's in our UFA after the 2021-22 year, so he's going to be part of this if they go on to try to hopefully win a cup in the next three. So I mean. I don't think he would move it. Same way Lad Lad would have moved it for the Wild, that whole thing that happened with Parise Koivu deal. But at the same time, I mean, who, who wants guys like that? No one. And the Islanders, you know, not saying Lou Lemuro screwed them, but we already saw with Matt Martin with his deal, loyalty plays a huge part. Yeah. He had Leo in Toronto. He liked Leo's game. He brings him over here. But the, the only problem I have with that is that you brought him over here. You already had the fourth line here. Oh, I'm not saying he should. You need another one. Uh, Lou has those guys that he really likes and he loves veterans and trots like playing veterans as well. And he thought it was a good idea, but now you look at it and I got Walter and Bellows by name. Trots is mentioning as two guys that look like men this year. They were boys last year. He said that they were boys among men. Now they're men and they're getting this recognition where Walter and Bellows could be in the opening night lineup uh, alongside Pajot. Well, okay. You got Ross Johnson, you got Dal Cole and you got Leo. You're paying at all those guys, you're paying Leo, so you sort of want to play him because you have to play him. him. Yeah, but at the same time, you're hindering development for two kids that could make a statement right now. Leo's not a goal scorer. It's the Stall conundrum. What? It's the Stall conundrum. Yeah. No, I'm five and a half. You got to play him. Those are the goal scorer. Wallstrom is going to be an unreal talent. I truly believe that, and I think playing Leo hinders their ability to grow. And especially in the year we just talked about Blackwood, this is your year. To, you're going against the best of the best. You want to see if Bellas can take a hit in this tough division? or can make big plays against tough opponents and great D, now's your chance. But if you're playing Leo over guys like that, this is the year to find out. If you, I mean, I'm not saying it's a make it or bring it year for Bellas or Wallstrom, but if you figure out this year, oh, wow, these guys are legit NHL players and can play alongside these guys and do well, this is this is you need to find that out. Yep. So, I mean, it comes down to, to, to bad contracts, but... Well, after this year, Bellas is an RFA. Yeah. And so it really that, is for him. For him, it's. I'm not saying. I think it's more make it or break it for Dal Cole, who's been, you know, after being a top five pick in his draft year, has done absolutely nothing. So, but like you said, he's, he's an RFA too. But I'm fine. I mean, I can't see asking for that much. Like, no, but but I'm saying you look at the pecking order, right? If Walsh yeah. makes the team out of camp, which he should. There's no reason he should. Yeah, I agree. I think that they need somebody that have, that has that high end ability to score. We we see it. They they picked him high for a reason. He could score. But if he makes the camp, and then you said you have to play Komarov because of his money. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying you're more. Odds are you're going to lean towards him. Yes. So now you're talking about two kids who are RFAs after this year. You, you're more inclined to keep Bellows, I would think, because he hasn't had the chance that Dal Cole's had. Stop. Dal Cole, I, you can do whatever you want with him. <laughs> I, I don't see anything in this game that shows me that. He, you know, I mean, he hasn't been scoring, so he's been doing the little things, like going into the corners, making some hits, winning some puck battles. But for a guy picked that high, when you have guys like Bellas and Wallstrom here, I would rather play Ross Johnson over Dalco. You don't draft somebody in the top 10 to win puck battles. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> no, not- <laughs> no. I mean, at, at that point, you got to play. I'd rather play Leo Komarov than Dalco. And I, if that hurts for some people to hear, I mean, Leo Komarov at least, you know, you're not, it's not a guy that's going to score goals. I feel when I see Dalco playing, I look at him and I go, yeah, he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. When he came here, like it's a downgrade, but Komarov not expecting things. I expected Dalco. He was picked fifth overall in 2014, Michael Dalco. And this is what he's done thus far in the NHL. Now, granted, he hasn't played a whole lot because. Uh, come on. No, when he had the chances, he didn't produce. He's, yeah, come on. You got to produce. 24 years old, but this is what he did last year with the Islanders 53 games. Hold on one second. <clears throat> 53 games is a big chance. No, yes. Four goals, six assists for 10 points. He's a. Uh, Plus 12, 
uh, 12 pounds a minute, excuse me, minus eight. In the playoffs, he played in three games, did nothing. Now in Bridgeport, in 2018-19, he played in 34 games, 18 goals, 16 assists, 34 points, was a plus 11. So he's too good for the AHL, but not good enough for the NHL. Exactly. And the problem is... This you, is know what, you know what that comes down to? The competition he's facing. At he's the not- AHL, he knows he could dominate, and he plays it's loose. It's a different game. He comes to the NHL, he knows he has to prove something, and he gets those those jittery. His hands get a little heavier. Uh, that That's all it is, because when you go down like that, and you have that sense of comfort where you say, okay, I know I could have that extra 0.2 seconds to make a stick handle here, and I know it's going to work. All of a sudden, his game lights up. If he could play that same way, it'll translate. But the problem is it's a mental thing. I mean, Nothing to had, do with his talent. Yeah. I mean, in 27, 2018, he played in four games in the NHL. That was his first chance, zero points. 2018-19, he played in 28 games, three goals, four assists, seven points. It's just he looks a little scared out there. He look, Honestly, what Trot said about Bellows and Wallstrom, how they are boys among men, I still see that in Dal Cole in year three. That's tough. Before we dive more into uh, hometown hockey, let's let's talk about the offsides rule real quick because we didn't we didn't we forgot to mention it when it came out. Yeah, because we we're a little uh, numbskulled, but <laughs> it's a big change. There are a lot of goals that are going to stand that last year would not have. And all the only change is that your skate doesn't have to be attached to the ice anymore. It can be elevated as long as it's above the blue line. Now, I remember a couple of Rangers goals where it's just the thinnest of margins. You're watching the game. You're going, come on. I mean, it's like a hair length off sides. Is that really make or breaking the play? No. But they call it no goal because it's off sides. Now, if you look at it this year, all the player is going to be doing is really striding and kicking his leg straight out. Because if you can kick your leg straight out and that leg's over the blue line, you're good. I think the biggest thing with replay is those little little plays that are centimeters off is not what replay was intended for. And it slows the game down. Granted, you want to get the call right, but you see so many plays where it's so close. And as a hockey fan that wants flow, because I don't, you know, hockey's a great sport because it could be five minutes, six minutes of no whistles, just action. I don't need it to be that close, but I think with this rule, I think it'll help with the flow of the game because it's not like, okay, it has to be, has to be touching, has to be these little minute things that cause the game to slow down. And I, but granted though, they're going to have to replay it anyway because you're going to have to see if, if, if it was clear. But I guess for the officials, it's a lot easier to see. It'll be quicker. Yeah. It'll if be better, If quicker you're not looking for touch, you're looking for, they have the, uh, the inserted cameras. I was going to say they have to do that. So it, it shouldn't take as long. The other thing that I think they should amend, right? Yep. Is if a play goes, it plays offsides, but the team dominates the zone possession for about a minute, minute and a half before scoring. Cancel. I feel, I feel like it should be a 30 second thing. If, it, if the goal got scored 30 seconds after the challengeable play, you could challenge. But if you couldn't get the puck out for another minute and a half, that's on you. That's not on the, all the, the half step offsides. That's on you not being able to defend. So I think that that should get fixed itself too there, there should be a time restraint for when you could challenge an offside call i agree i don't know if we've seen it yet we it probably has happened if you're on a, on a team and you go in the offense zone offsides other team gets the puck goes down and scores can you challenge that for no. offsides? no see that's but you're saying though it pretty much cancels out so at that point that offsides doesn't matter so i think with the time constraint i think that'd be perfect 30 seconds but it's also different though how the play is in front of you i think it's got to be discretion of how the play evolves because if someone comes in the zone and they dump it around guy gets it turns it over goes the other way i mean it doesn't you know things in hockey happen you, you can't challenge offsides like that you were offside no, no, I, know. I know i know so just- i think that if if a team it walks the zone right and is a half step offsides yeah and doesn't score on that initial rush that should be it they start cycling the puck and after about you know 45 seconds they finally put the puck in did the play start because it was offside, sure. But if 45 seconds go by without you touching the puck, being able to break up the pass, that's on a little bit more of an aptitude in the own zone. But you were put in that position because the player was offside. That's how the opposing but The player's not looking at it like that. The player's looking at it. It wasn't offsides. Like, they're playing. Oh, yeah. You don't stop going, okay, I'm not going to play now because I know it was offsides. So if you can't get the puck out, that's on you. But if a goal goes in eventually, obviously the coaches will say, we, listen, we had to get the puck out anyway. But the uproar, I've... 
it was offsides though. Like that should never have happened. But I guess the least not going to worry about what fans are thinking. They're going to worry about pace of play, their game. And I think that'd be fine because again, a coach and a player is going to know we had an opportunity to get the puck out. We didn't. We deserve for that puck to go in. Yeah. So I like that idea, Brent. You should write a letter to uh, Gary Bettman. I, I will, and I'll, I'll include in that letter that get rid of the shootout and just make it three v three. Because if you really want pace of play, imagine a ten minute three v three. Once I'm, players are fatigued, I'm all for that. Talk about breakaways galore. <laughs> I am all for that. Well, speaking of that, were you guys in overtime in the NHL NHL 21 yesterday for like an hour? That, that was that was such a long OT game. I've never seen a computer goalie stand on his head like that. I mean, we're we're, we're dishing the puck back and forth. It's on a string. And this guy, the computer goal, sprawling, getting the nub of the stick on it. I'm like, all right, come on. And yet I can't intercept the pass that's through my feet in that game. What a joke. Yeah. But you know what's not a joke? The Devils, Sammy Votnin's back, and they win that trade that they had last year when they traded Votnin to Carolina for Yane Kukunainen, Frederick Clayson, and a conditional pick. Freddie Clayson, my boy. He was a Ranger. Yeah, so they get him back on a very good deal for them. Again, we told them they have cap room. I, I, we talked about this earlier. This is a guy that, yes, plus minus last year wasn't good. He was on a Devils team that allowed a ton of goals. It was a negative 12. But he had five goals and 18 assists, 22 points, and 47 games. And this is a puck winning defenseman that can play on the power play. He's reliable usually. I mean, again, the negative 12 is not an indication of him. His team was not good on the back end in front of him. So, it's so one of those guys where a lot of teams should have been out for him, and, they, and the Devils get him back. Uh, it's a weird thing that nobody attacked him, knowing that it would have been a one-year, $2 million contract. He's also 29 years old. It's not like he's yeah. 35. That's what I'm saying. He was very good on the Ducks. He was still good on the Devils, despite that plus-minus, which is not really on him. But now you look at the Devils. They add him, right? You have Subban. So now you have Subban, Butcher, Damon Severson, Votnin. They got Ryan Murray in a trade. Dmitry Kulikov is there now. Mm. That's not a bad defensive core. It's it's not great. It's aging. But to help out Blackwood, at least in this year, that's a good... And, and now you add everybody else there besides maybe Subban and, and Butcher, I guess, a little bit. But Vatnam becomes the most capable puck-moving defenseman on that team. Oh, yeah. And that should help with the power... I'm assuming he's going to get power play minutes. I just... Yeah. It's just one of those guys that just seems to do – he averages 21, 45 minutes of ice time per game. That's what he did last year. His career is 21-08, so he eats minutes on the ice. Now, you and, want to look at something if you're a Devils fan. I'm sorry to cut you off. It's okay. I just, just came across my attention. Next year, mm-hmm. they have Travis Zajac, Kyle Palmieri, and Nikita Gusev, UFAs. They have uh, Michael McLeod, Yanni Kukunen. Igor Sharangovich, who we saw play, looked pretty good. And Nathan Bastian. Yegor. 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 Sorry. It's Igor (laughs) Sertherkin. That's my Igor. And uh, Nathan Bastian, all RFAs. On their defense, they have – this is crazy. Ryan Murray, Will Butcher. No, not Will Butcher. Excuse me. Ryan Murray, Sammy Vatanen, Connor Carrick, Dimitri Kulikov, Matt Tennyson. Five. Five defensemen, UFAs. So they're fooling. They're fooling as an NHL club. Well, you could look at it two ways. You could look at it that they're going to retain a couple of them. They're going to have like $50 million in cap. This might be a year where they tell Z-Jack, you want to retire. Help out. that. I mean, I could see them bringing him back on a one-year deal. This guy's a leader. He's not the captain, obviously, but he's a leader. And But they're going to have to pick and choose. They really are. I mean, we saw some of those guys play. Bastion looks good. A guy like Gusev hasn't done – a ton since he's been here. I don't know if you let him go. That's they got from Vegas, correct? Correct. So they're gonna have a lot. Thank God I'm not the GM. <laughs> Thank God I'm not Fitzgerald. So Ovechkin's a free agent. Ovechkin is yeah. They're not getting Ovechkin. Ovechkin will die a cap. Um, think about this, Taylor Hall. Back to the Devils. Patrick Line. But you have to build this. You have to build a winning culture in New Jersey, which is going to be very hard to do. Not if you could sell that they're young and have this much cap, like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Brandon Sod's a free agent. But you realistically believe that Taylor Hall would go back to Jersey? No, I don't. Okay. But what I do believe is that somebody like a Ryan Nugent Hopkins, mm-hmm. who has been relegated to second, third line minutes in Edmonton, why wouldn't he take that chance to go play alongside these young guys like Nico Heischer? 
then he's going to get paid. Why wouldn't a Patrick Line sign there when he's obviously not wanted right now in Winnipeg? They don't have the cap to keep him. They're looking to trade him. Now you're telling him that he can go play alongside these young kids, have a prominent role on the team in New Jersey. It's a bigger market. And you're going to get paid because they have the cap. I mean, out of all the teams that have the cap space, and you look at Ottawa, Detroit, those are just a few. I mean, yeah, Jersey's... Dougie Hamilton. There's options. There's a ton of options. The, but this year for the Devils, they got all those RFAs. They got to see it, if it's worth it now. Passing is up and down. I know last year was weird for the Devils because they're out of it. So they brought up guys like Street. Yep. That's all the guys that we watched play, those to McLeod, all those guys got a chance. Um, Cini, like guys like that. Now this year, granted how it starts to go, does it give an opportunity for more of those guys to prove, hey, I mean, they're all playing for contracts pretty much. It's like, oh, you're going to get a limited amount of playing time this year or depending on how – if the season gets really bad for the Devils, you might as well play all the young guys, obviously. Can they do enough to be that one person that gets that RFA? Or are they one of those guys where the team goes, yeah, it's, it's, we didn't see enough. We didn't see enough. And that's it's money. Yeah, it's money. It's all about money. So I thank God I'm not Fitzgerald. <laughs> thank God. All right, let's dive in to some hometown hockey now. We're going to talk a little bit Rangers before going back to the Islanders and finishing up the show. So the Rangers have an interesting dilemma panning out. I guess it's something that we saw that could have happened, but we didn't expect it. You talked about being a man amongst men instead of a boy amongst men. Keandre Miller, this camp has come in with something to prove. And according to all reporters that have been there, players that are playing with him, and most importantly, David Quinn, the Rangers head coach, Miller looks like he deserves a roster spot. They ask Quinn what he thinks about Miller and if he's playing his way onto the roster. And simply put, David Quinn said yes. Now, Miller's a left-hand shot. The Rangers are weaker on the left side. The What they were planning on doing was taking D'Angelo, putting him on the left of Truba, putting your best four defensemen in that top four, and mixing the bottom two, Smith, Johnson, Potato, whoever makes it and, and proves that they could play, would play. But now if Miller makes his way into the fold, you could put Miller on the second pair with Truba. You could drop D'Angelo back to his natural right side and put him with Johnson, which is basically the same thing he did with Stahl, right? He still scored 50 points with Stahl. Johnson is slower. He's older. He's not going to take those pinch chances. So he'll stay back and give D'Angelo free reign. Truba now can mentor Miller. And if they said that the most impressive thing about Keandre Miller this camp is that when he's gapping up, he attacks your stick so fast that you don't know what hit you as a forward. And when you think about it, he's 6'5", his reach is unreal, and he was a forward before becoming a defenseman. So he knows what a forward's thinking. And if he can take that and transition into the NHL level alongside Truba, who did struggle last year, that might be a very solid pair, too. We already know what Lindgren and Fox are going to do as a pair one. It, it boosts your defense a lot. I think if Miller's ready, get him, on, get him going. He better make the club. There's no point of... Wasting if he could really help this club improve it. Granted, this is going to be a year where the Rangers defense is tested, but they grow. They grow a lot. You want Miller part of that. You don't want Miller to join the team next year when they've already gone through an ex- exponential. They're going to have to go through an exponential growth. They're going to like boys to men. That's we're going to have to see this year. And if the Island Rangers do struggle again, still valuable time. We talk about Blackwood going against the best of the best competition wise. Now, granted, there's some teams in the division that aren't offensively like attacking you all the time, like the Islanders. But every other team pretty much is. Islanders are one of the only teams in the division that's solely based on their defensive play. So you want Miller a part of that because he's going to grow in a Truba, veteran around him. Like, I wouldn't want Jack Johnson with him. Because, again, like Marstall, later in their career, you don't want him learning from players that are making those mistakes. I think the only way he makes the team is if he's paired with Truba. It just, it's, it's a natural pairing that would work. He's a lefty. Truba's a righty. Truba can help mentor him along. Neither one of them is going to take an abundance of offensive chances, so it's not going to be a lot of odd man rushes for him. I think that's the best scenario for him. And I, I also do think that the fact that the AHL doesn't start till February 5th will play a part in making the roster because you don't want Miller just sitting around. You want him developing. And if there's nowhere for him to go to the AHL to develop, why not let him develop on the fly in a year where you're not expected to make a playoffs when you're in a division with Boston, the Islanders, the Flyers, the Penguins, the Capitals, right? Let him develop. Let him face these teams because guess what? Same. If he disappoints, you go, okay, he's still young. We'll send him down to Hartford on February 5th, and he'll get his seasoning. If he doesn't disappoint, you have a gem right now, and it's going to help your defense. And it seems like he's going to succeed, and they have faith. That's the biggest thing. There's confidence in him, which means he's going to have confidence in himself. And paired with a guy like Truba, he'll have confidence to not 
have to be perfect. That's the thing. A lot of these guys come up and they want to be perfect. It's growing pains. We saw with Dobson, which we'll get into in a little bit, how it's going to take some time to get used to the NHL level, especially a guy coming from college. It's a completely different game. So I think Miller on that second pair is perfect for this team, whether they win or not this year. Growth. Yep. Size, speed, and instincts will erase a lot of the rookie mistakes, and he possesses all three. So I, I think if he's impressing that much in camp, let him have a shot. The next thing we're, we're talking about with the Rangers is they're rumored to be interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois. It makes a ton of sense when you look at it because he's only 22. He's got a two-year, $10 million contract. It's not too expensive. He's a center, so Rangers need center help. And when you look at that roster, right, they're looking to get younger, and they're looking to add people that can produce. Pierre-Luc Dubois has proven to be somebody who is capable of producing at the NHL level. He's only getting better. He's young. He's big. He fits that mold of a, of a gritty center that the Rangers could use as a two-way guy. Coming off a of John Tortorella system, he played with Panarin there. It makes a ton of sense. Now, the only thing is how can they fit him in? Do they move Strom for him? Do they want to keep Strom? Where do they see him fitting? But it, it, they have to explore it. It makes a ton of sense. And they could do it cap-wise. They'd have to clear, I think, $200,000. That's it. I think the island, the Rangers have 4.8 in cap space. He's five. If that, my math is correct, that that's it. So a guy like Strobe, you can move, correct? I mean, he's a center. Well, so they, yeah. need, they need to have a little more because they have the bonus yeah. question penalty yeah. and, and yeah. all that stuff. So they're not going to get below it. It's manageable, though, because in order to get him, you're going to have to trade an asset, somebody that's NHL ready. That ha- that's getting paid. So but they have it. Clear, yeah. I mean, Strom would be great. It, it would suck for Strom. I saw the tweets. I, this is the only place I want to play. I'm so happy to be back in a Ranger for, you know, he wants to be here. And that's a tough thing because, you know, it is a business, but you did just sign Strom. But at the same time, you're getting a guy Dubois who's very young. Well, very the only young. other player I could think of them moving is Buchnevich. But he yeah, Buchnevich. yeah. I think, yeah. though, he, he would, though, I don't think Columbus would do that now. I think they have to see what Buchnevich could do. They, they will if you add one of their young assets. Oh, if they, if they, yes, if the Rangers had someone else with him, but it's not. Yeah. In my opinion, you're trading a young asset. You're getting a young asset in return that you know could play right now. That that trumps that young asset for me. Oh, I'm the Rangers. Get rid of the young asset. You, you could call Kratzov up. You take Lafreniere, you put him up to the. You don't even need Kratzov to, to have this work. Lafreniere takes Butch never to spot. Okay, you, you play on an off wing. Then you have. You want to do that, though? I think he can adjust. Or you should put Kreider on his off wing. Somebody has, they have players that can move to their off wing. Then, so now you have a vacancy in the. You can put Edel, who struggles at, at center. Struggled this whole time. He's at 38% on faceoffs. Move him to the left, put him on the wing. Dubois in that third line spot. Now you have Dubois centering Edel and Julian Godier. You have a first line that's Kreider, Zabanajad, Lafreniere. Your second line's Panarin, Strom, and. Uh, Kako remains untouched with their chemistry. I mean, that is a legit top nine. That might be the best top nine in hockey. It, it might be. When you're adding, I think this offense is a top 10 offense in the NHL. I really do. It was like, top I, five last year. So I get really that. do. It's going to be a top 10 this year. And if you add Dubois, this Rangers, it's getting scarier and scarier how good offensively. Now, get granted, don't know how Lafreniere is going to do. He's gonna do well. Uh, this is not a guy. I really think he's gonna do well because he's. You go back to the whole um, Jack Hughes Kako thing where Kako's maturity level physically, he was very for the NHL and Hughes was, and we saw what that how that impacted their play in last year. Lafreniere is like he's physically ready to play in the NHL, and that's such a big advantage. He's also extremely talented. Oh yes, no, I'm saying he's going to be good. You had Dubois to this. I don't think losing Strom is a, oh, no, we lost this amazing. They, like I said, they don't have to lose Strom. To to exactly. But I'm saying, though, whoever you replace, it's going to make your team better. You're not losing a talented guy and being like, okay, it's even. You're getting an unreal talent in Dubois who's not happy in Columbus, so he'd want to play on Broadway. I don't see why he wouldn't. Like you said, he played with Panarin. And if you could do what you said, give away an asset, maybe throw in a pick there if you need to. I don't even know if you need to do that, but you might have to. The Rangers don't need the picks right now. I mean, the offense is great. They have the defense. They, I think this is set, and you got uh, Shesterkin and Nett. So this is a team that's looking to be dominant, not just a couple of years. They're so young. They could be dominant for the next six, seven, eight years. But they got to get to that point. Dubois is on a two-year deal, so it's yeah. strong. Yeah. 
So if you were to make a trade where you have both of them, come two years' time, you assess which one you think is better for you. If Strom continues to dominate the way he did last year with Panarin and Dubois struggles, you move Dubois in the final year of his contract. He's going to be 23. Somebody will take him. Somebody will take him. And so it gives you flexibility. At the same time, you don't have to worry about how much money you're having because you have to sign people, but you have Nils Lundqvist coming over. You got all these guys that are still coming in who are entry-level deals. So it, it saves your cap. D'Angelo in two years won't be here, I believe, because Nils Lundqvist will take his spot. So you free up that $4.3 million. Uh, The way that they're influxing their talent over the course of two or three seasons alleviates some of the cap trouble that they're going to eventually have because you can't keep all these guys together. But it's going to be wild to see how they're 25 years old this year. They're going to get younger and better. But that's everything has to work out the way they envision it for it to be successful. And in the end, if you don't win a cup, was it really a successful rebuild? No. no. I mean, that's every team. You don't win a cup. At the end of the day, you didn't do your job. Now, yep. granted, some teams aren't in the, you know, don't have the ability to do that, like Detroit. If they don't win a cup this year. They're not going to be shooting themselves in the foot going, wow, what a terrible year for us. That's But a team in a position to be better and compete for a cup and goes years like Dallas. When Dallas, when this, when Ben's gone, Sagan's gone, that's a waste. You know, you had you had the talent to win, you didn't. Now, granted, they went up against the best team in the league and lost. If they went up against any other team, I mean, I think the Islanders still would have beaten them. But if they go up against other teams, the chance of winning is higher. So, But it's a waste. And I think the Rangers are doing the rebuild better than pretty much any team would have. And it's great. Before we get into the Islanders' new power play unit, uh, the last thing I want to touch on is Capo Caco. Yeah. Caco came into camp after an impressive playoff performance. He didn't score, but he looked like how we envisioned he would. He's, people say he looks stronger, he's shooting more, and he's scoring a lot in this camp, whether he's playing with Panarin or without Panarin, he's still scoring. I'm looking at expectations, right? It's a 56-game season. All signs point to him being healthy. He's never had an injury history, knock on wood. Hopefully he could stay healthy this year. If he does, is a 15-goal, 20-assist, 35-point expectation too high for him, or is that realistic? So you're talking about 10 less games than he played last year. He played 66 last year. He had 10 goals, 13 assists. He's a minus 26. That's got to improve. But granted, the defense is going to be stronger. So you're saying how many? I'm saying my expectation is 15 and 20 for 35. You're playing alongside Panarin and Sherrill now. He's going to get an increase in minutes. And I think if he's finishing the way he's finishing now and he's not hesitant to shoot, Panarin's finding him. That's, That's not a question. It's a given. If he could get that shot off and release it, he's going to score. I, I could see that. No, that's definitely something I could see. I'm I'm trying to see how much time he played. Do you know how much time he played last year? It's going to go up, but um, it, it couldn't have been a lot. Yeah. Uh, all right, you want me to look it up? I got you. I'll look it up. But no, I mean that's reasonable expectations given the fact that he's playing with Panarin. Anyone with Panarin is going to play better. So last year he averaged fourteen seventeen of time on ice. Yeah, that's going to go up. I mean, I don't think it's a make it or break it year for Kako. I think he'll definitely improve. He had his first year under his belt, nerve-wracking year, big, big light. He was in the big spotlight in Broadway. I think this year, definitely. What just happened? Mika Zibanejad participating in morning skate. And the 2021 Stanley Cup. Uh, he just jinxed it. It's jinxed it at 10.38, January 10th, 2021. I never said anything. I just said 2021 Stanley Cup. All right, well, let's, let's move on, shall we? First off, Islanders having their scrimmage right now at 1039. Are they really <laughs> scrimmaging right now? Oh, yeah, they're in their game jerseys as well. And but the Rangers scrimmage tonight. Alongside Pajot on the left, Kiefer Bellows. On the right, Oliver Wallstrom. That is interesting. That is nice. That is I, I got to ask you a question because <laughs> I don't follow the Islanders camp like I follow the Rangers. Are they televising their games? No. Why? Like, why Why can't they televise one of these scrimmages? Well, the thing is that Gross, Brian Compton, Arthur Staple, Christian Arnold, Molly Walker, they're all posting videos. Okay, that's one thing. But you're telling me if they said, hey, we're going to put this scrimmage on TV right now, I'd, I'd be parked right in front of the TV watching the scrimmage. I'm not going to lie, and this is what I'm thinking. 
as a manager and a general manager of another team, they don't want to. They don't want the other team seeing how their prospects are doing right now, or players like that looking at weaknesses. I, that might. That's Toronto's televising their scrimmage. It's Canada. televised it yesterday. It's Canada. Yeah, I saw John Tavares scored a nifty goal. So uh, come on, give uh, just one. Just give fans something. We've no, had so long without hockey. We're stuck in this COVID crisis. Give us one scrimmage on TV. Uh, is it really that hard to ask for one scrimmage? No, I'd be watching it. I'd be waking up at this time on a Sunday to watch an Islander scrimmage. But Islanders preseason games weren't even on TV. No, it makes no sense. Ever. It doesn't make sense. You'd have to log into some funky website to try to find a stream that's ten and a half minutes behind. No, it doesn't make sense. And this year, hey guys, for fifteen dollars, twenty bucks, watch the couple of scrimmages the Islanders play. So many people are going to do that. Make it on NYI TV where you can watch on Twitter. Promote, promote Twitter. Promote, I mean, but we've seen the NHL Nazis, things like that anyway. And I guess it's probably a team thing. They probably want the, I don't know. Because, you know, they usually, during training camp, fans are allowed, they have like a day where fans can come and watch. Yeah. Now, you're in COVID. You can't have that. But let's get the Islanders before we end the show. We spoke about Barzell deals, so we don't have to speak any more of that. Islanders power play unit. Now, this is a power play last year during the regular season that was 17.3%. That was eighth worst in the league. And if you go to the playoffs, it was 15.4%. So this is a power play that is not good. Correct. But, Brendan, we talked about this. This year, they're doing something Washington Capital-esque, which makes sense Barry Trotz. They're going to put Dobson at the top, Pulak in the Ovechkin spot. Now, I'm not saying that Dobson is Nick Backstrom, and I'm not saying that Pulak is Ovechkin. Those are two righty defensemen alongside Lee. It was Pajot in practice before Barzal came, so I'm assuming it's going to be Lee, Barzal, Everly. That's your top unit. We talked about this. Do we trust Dobson at the top line? He didn't play in a ton of games last year. He played in 34, but it was a learning curve. Like, you know, he got better as the year went on. So the Dobson we saw at the beginning is not the Dobson we're seeing now. And talking to coaches, other defensemen, you know, they're saying that this guy looks unreal. And I think maybe it was one year. I mean, first, he was coming off a junior year uh, in the when he played for Team Canada when he cracked his stick. I'm um, in Ross, they lose. That's rough. You have to deal with that. Then you play this year with the Islanders in a new home. And a boy Chuck was driving him around places. He lived with um, – I'm pretty sure he lived at the Seidenberg same way that Barzal did when, in his first year. So it was a new atmosphere for the guy. He's only 21. He just turned 21. So he's probably a little sluggish Friday morning. Um, but, but you're looking at it and this is a guy that's needs to help this power play unit out. And if he could play great on that top and pass it up to Pulak, who, you know, with his cannon of a shot mimics Ovechkin a little bit and gets his power play going. So be it. But the question is, do you trust Dobson in year two to take that much responsibility? When you have a guy like Nick Letty, probably defenseman who could probably do the same thing. I think Dobson has a lot of talent. And you talked about the world junior championships where he broke his stick. He was quarterbacking that power play though. Yeah. So he, it's not an unfamiliar situation for him. The only thing is at the NHL level when you're at the top is you can't hold the puck. It's got You have to know what you're going to do before you get it. So if a player along the right side makes a pass to you and you have Pulak on your left, you've got to look before you get that puck to see, is Pulak open? Should I one-touch it to him? Do I cup it and shoot it to the net? Do I go back? It's a lot of decision-making for somebody that is that young to make. And then on top of that, you're the last line of defense. So if you get a shot blocked, there's no one behind you. And it's pressure. So that's the only thing I have that might worry me as somebody looking at it that's not an Islanders fan from an outside perspective. Pulak on the left, smart, smart move. Should have been done. Correct. Earlier. The only reason it wasn't done is because they wanted him on the top. If, if Dobson has shown in camp the ability to make those decisions quick and to not cough the puck up, that would give me confidence as a coach to say, okay, he could do it. And like you said, they do have Letty. So if, if one or two games go by and he doesn't look all that crisp up top, he looks like he's having a little bit of jitters being that young, you have a guy that can jump in there. Also, but- Letty's going to be on that second unit. So it's not like Letty's not getting power by the time and Dobson's getting over him. It's both units can have to work well if the Islanders want to do things. Again, the biggest thing in the playoffs is you got to make the most of your power play opportunities. And the Islanders did not. Now, this year during the regular season, that's going to be a big part because 
I'm trying to think. Do you think this year is going to be a every game is going to sort of be like a playoff game where it's going to be really tight, or do you think it's going to be more loose? Because if it's going to be really tight in games like that, low scoring defensive games, your power plays, your special teams have to be even better. And if the Islanders can't make the most of their power play opportunities, they're going to have a hard time staying in the top four spot. The only thing I'd say is he's so young. Why not put him on the second unit? Just let him develop. Well, I think they wanted to develop with Pulak. I can see that. I, I can. I, I listen. It's a good problem to have because I think he is good. I think he's very talented. The only thing is that he's young. So if there's always that possibility, and it's not just Dobson, it's every young kid, whether it's Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, they're going to have those young rookie moments where they take a shot that they shouldn't be taking from the top. It goes off shin pads, and it's a, it's a breakaway chance shorthanded. It's going to happen. If the Islanders are willing to live with that, then you let him develop there. If this is 82 games, I don't think it's a problem. 56, it changes it because one of those shorties can end the game. It could be a different scenario, right? So we'll see how it works. I have faith that it'll work, and I think that Pulak on the left is a genius move because if they could feed him and he could clap it, he's just got to be able to make sure he can hit the net from that angle. You've got to make sure he doesn't sag too low because he's still a defenseman, so he needs that extra room. But if he can stay at that top of the circle and let it rip, whoo, that's a cannon. You also have a guy on this power, on the power play, and Barzal can move the puck, Eberle can move the puck, Lee big body behind the net. I think that if Lee gets the puck behind the net and you have Pulak, Pulak can shoot the puck, but if you see Dobson, I mean, Dobson could shoot too. And he didn't get a lot of opportunities to shoot the puck, but you have a lot of veterans on this line with him. It's not a young, young power play unit. Do they have Barzal at the bumper spot in the middle or at the side of the net? Um, He is... He's in the side. So you can so, make that cross-seam pass. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. Also, Everly, Everly can make that pass too. But I trust Barzal's vision more. Oh, so yeah. If, you're, if you have Everly at the bumper, who else is on that unit besides Lee. those four? Lee? So, yeah, Lee, Lee stays on the side because there's shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have Everly in the bumper and they could have a scenario where they go Dobson to Lee to the bumper and down, if Barzal doesn't have that shot, if you're moving the puck on that side, Pulak becomes open. Just naturally, they're going to have to sag. That that creates a lot of problems for opposing penalty kills because you have to now respect his shot like Ovechkin. You see teams guard Ovechkin, guard Ovechkin. Next thing you know, Carlson to back from back of the net. That's and, exactly, I was just going to say, I was going to say, even if Pulak doesn't bury, he's now a, a, he's a bigger threat than ever. Yeah. And these other guys, you know, Lee might be open back door. They have to, if they can master the two ways that they're going to score, they're going to be unstoppable. You looked at Edmonton last year, how good their power play was. It's because they had two options. They parked James Neal in front of the net, and they kept shooting it to his stick, and he kept tipping in it. Eventually, teams collapsed on the middle, and now you're going to dish it outside to McDavid and Dreisaitl. They're just going to rip shots from the outside, and they're going to score because of how talented they are. If they don't cover Pulak off the bat, and he rips home a couple, and teams start to press out, you're leaving Eberle and Barzal with more space and tight. That's dangerous. And I think that it's a good way to start their power play up. And the only issue I have is can Dobson manage all the responsibility up top? And if he does at 75% efficiency, they're going to improve their power play. And the biggest thing for this power play is it's confidence. You know, how many times they get power play, power play, fail, fail. The offense is dry. Scoring on the power play is going to make this offense confidence. Like this is an offense that was very bad last year. And they were in jeopardy of not making the playoffs because their defense was great. I mean, Pelic, it got worse when Pelic was out, fourth line, you know, everything about what we talked about over and over again. But if you start scoring, that relieves pressure from this defense having to be damn near perfect. Is Lee a lefty or righty? Lee is a lefty. Okay, so they have two opposite sides on their off wings, which yeah. work. Is Dobson a lefty or righty? Dobson is a righty. Okay. If Dobson was a lefty, it would be easier to one-touch that pass over to Pulak. And because he's a righty, that a crossbody one-touch is hard. So he probably will have to cup it and feed it, which slows that play down. So the only left-handed stick that you would really want is up top uh, in that scenario. So that hurts a little bit. But outside of that, you got two wings that could pass. I think that if Lee is able to feed it across and vice versa, uh, they have a lot of avenues where you have players that can hurt you. That's all you could ask for a power play. They have the ideal formula to create two on ones, and that's all a power play is. You got to create two on ones throughout the ice, and if you do that, you're gonna you're gonna score. Yeah. So last point before we end the show and talk about our guests coming up on 
for Wednesday's episode, I already spoke about how Bellas is playing alongside Peugeot and Wallstrom and Young Guns, getting high praise from Trotz at camp, saying that boys to men, they look good, they look great. He's got the confidence to play him now in the scrimmage. Well, Wallstrom, uh, a couple of minutes ago, Andrew Gross of Newsday tweeted out that he made a great move across the blue line and then protected the puck using his big body along Barzal, going behind the net before he was unable to make a pass, gets stripped, and, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. Confidence, though. That's Barzal. Barzal's, you know, Barzal's not a big guy, but, you know, you're going after a guy like that and going around the net using your body. That's a big thing. Maturity. If Wallstrom could use his big frame to do that, protect the puck, and this is a young Pajot. I mean, this is this is exciting stuff for the Islanders who have not, you know, Trotz is not a big guy that loves to go to rookies. Same with Lamarill. They like their veterans. But now's the time. Teams are getting younger. You're not. Use these guys. If these guys are ready to go in the NHL, we talked about Bellas being a make or break potentially. Ride this line because if this line connects and works, you are so deep. I really hope Michael Dalcole plays opening night. No, stop talking to me. Because Jacob Truba loves Michael Dalcole. Yeah, and if he does it again, he can take Dalcole out and we don't have to worry about anything. I, I'll i stand by that. It was a clean hit. <sighs> it, it was clean. It was just, it was a big boy hit and you got big boy laid out. <laughs> that was that was Pajot's first game, right? Credit to him. Pajot scored a goal and got ejected. A BS goal. That was that's BS. That goal. It was BS, but at the same time, granted, where's where everybody else paying attention? Pajot. That, that was the one that went off to like the glass, right? Nope, and just, you know where it was. Pajot was like, oh, I, ha- I, I was so pissed off watching that goal go in. You know how that game ended? Was that the Kreider one or D'Angelo? I think it, no. We were at school. I'm pretty sure. Was, was that? No, was it? No, you're uh, right. It might have been. It might have been Zibanejad's OT winner. I think it was because that was a very close game and the Islanders lost. Because the Islanders were 0-3-4 and 4 with All Pajot. of them were close. No, but Islanders were – It was o, Islanders were 0-3-4 when Pajot joined the club. I think it was. It, you're right because the other one, Panarin, had five points, so that wasn't a close game. Then the yeah, other, one after that was Kreider. That was later, but we were home. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That was Zibanejad's OT winner. Yeah. I, listen, if we have eight games like that, yeah. one, I'm going to get a heart attack. Two, it's oh, going to be phenomenal. I you going to say something else, but thankfully you said a heart attack. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no it's going to be great. I, I'm I'm ready for January 14th, and I think that we all are ready, but we have a different type of hockey player coming on the show Wednesday. Yes, we have Brandon Hawkins of ECHL. He plays for Toledo right now. And we're gonna have a month to talk about his season, what how how it's like playing right now with COVID and all that fun stuff. On Thursday, me and you, Brendan, will do like a 10-15 minute pregame show to get you guys ready for Islanders and Rangers. So we are a couple of days away from the season beginning on Wednesday and then Islanders Rangers on Thursday. The back check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of the back check. Follow the show on social media at Backcheck Pod.